This is Secrets to Win Big, your roadmap to sustained growth. Brought to you by Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, top brand growth driver and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. Find him at zenmango.com. And now, here's your host, Arjun Sen. Welcome to Secrets to Win Big. This one episode, I have been really looking forward to. You know, I have the most fun job when I do the podcast because I get a chance to talk to incredible leaders from all walks of life from all over the world. But then when I get a chance to talk to my VIP, somebody like my VIP guest, Susan Linton Smith, who not only is incredible in what she does, has been a leader at the highest level or is a leader at the highest level, but I have been fortunate from day one in my career when I started at Pizza Hut PepsiCo to see her and admire her. And it's just like, you know, in golf, when somebody putts in front of you and shows you the line, it becomes so much easier. Susan was one of those a few years before me she joined, but she was the leader who showed the path to all of us. Now, let me get into the little bit of the formal background of Susan and curb my enthusiasm a little bit. Susan Linton Smith is a business executive with 30 years of leading change and driving results as CEO of companies like Quiznos and Elements Massage. And she has been in leadership positions at Red Robin, White Bay Foods, Coca-Cola, and Pizza Hut. Susan currently leads the business for At Your Gate, an online food ordering and delivery service for airports, and is a board member for the one group which operates high-end restaurants. Susan, absolutely an honor and a pleasure. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much. And I really appreciate those really kind words. I, I owe you money for that. But I've uh, been very grateful to have worked with you and over a course of a couple of different uh, companies as well. So I'm just happy to be here. So thank you. Absolutely. Truly a pleasure. So Susan, again, I want to congratulate on an amazing career, which is still evolving. As I believe, the best is yet to come. <laughs> so we both started our careers at Pizza Hut. You know, if we go back to that alumni of people who started an incredible group of human beings and leaders, and you from early days always performed at the highest level, which is very important to note, looking at the peer group of incredible people. So if you go back a little bit with that start you had in your career, what are some of the big learnings from those early days that have helped you in your career ahead? Well, first, I just have to agree with you. I mean, I'm so grateful that I had my start at Pizza Hut. I mean, some of the best people I've ever worked with and some of my still my closest friends are from those days. So what a tremendous place to really have your first job and first career. Um, I learned so much from those early days. Uh, some of the things that kind of stand out in my mind are uh, really learning the importance of fitting in with a company culture. So I think Pizza Hut had a very unique culture. It was very much aligned with the PepsiCo companies, of course, but it was the opportunity to take accountability early on. I remember interviewing there and, you know, I had, I had grown up in restaurants since age 14. And, you know, then you go and get your college degree, your grad, grad school. And I thought, well, the last thing I'm going to do is, is go into restaurants um, because that's where I work to go to college. And I have to tell you, I was so impressed with the people, but also I was told, you know, we don't 
we don't tell you how to think or train you to that extent. We throw you out into the ocean and you have to teach yourself to swim and you need to take accountability early on. And I, I have to tell you that kind of stuff just motivated me so much. And I'm like, that's, that's why I went to Pizza Hut, not only for the people, but for the opportunities and learned about the importance of driving results and standing out, you know, not just blending in, but standing out. And that was a place where you're encouraged to really take risks and swing for the fence and have an opinion, because if you agree with everyone else, then you're redundant. So just that was a perfect culture for me. And I learned that, you know, really understanding a company culture, because I just thought every place was like that, you know, because that was my first, but um, really understanding the company culture and making sure it fits with you was a, was a great lesson early on. And I was very grateful to have found a place where I fit so well. I would say the second biggest learning is about the importance of building relationships. So I was one of those people. I still have a tendency to do this where put your head down and just work hard and probably harder than anyone else. And I remember being taught a couple of times, hey, stand up and walk around and talk to people. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's a waste of time. And I, I learned very early on that, that the importance of building and establishing relationships and then projects and things that you work on are so much easier after that because then people want to work with you. They want to go the extra mile. And Arjun, you know, I've been in franchising a lot and that's that was a great lesson to apply to the franchise world is establish those relationships first, establish that credibility, and then projects will move so much faster because at least then the franchisee understands you and knows that you are good for your word and really do have the, the business at heart because you built those relationships. I love that part that you emphasized about franchisees because the number one thing, again, you know, working with you and other leaders, school leaders in the franchise world is, I've learned, is the main product we offer franchisees is trust. Because franchisees, that's their living. They will be in that business forever. And as you talked about is building the relationship means they want to work with you. And that makes us so successful as we go forward. I want to push you a little bit on the standing out. So, you know, I know you're a very modest human being. Can you just go back and share an incredible memory moment with your fan club about a moment of standing out during the PepsiCo days, which now when you look back, say, wow, Susan, can't believe you pulled it off. <laughs> um, you know, some of the things I'm really proud of back then was uh, what I did in the field. Um, so at the time you spent a couple of years at headquarters, then went out into the field and then you were supposed to go back. And at that time we had a lot of autonomy in the field and I'm very proud at a very you know young age to have had such a big team when I was down in Florida, part of the Southeast region and was leading you know some key markets, uh, Puerto Rico, USVI. And I, I'm so proud of what we did with Puerto Rico. So I, I, I think the thinking from the leadership at the time was, well, they have Miami and Puerto Rico's not so far away. So might as well, um, you know, get that to the, to that division. And it was a completely different animal. And it was really a great turnaround case example. It was some of the most fun 
I've ever had working with, you know, the, the, the finance person, the ops person, myself, the HR, we were very tight and we were able to go in there and really rebuild that entire business and launch some of the great things that were um, working well in the U.S. and just drive some great, um, great trust in the brand again. And I, I tell you, from, from where we started to where we finished was just tremendous. So I will say that that was one of my proudest moments and one of the best accomplishments just really early on in my career is some of the stuff we were able to to lead and accomplish at that time. And I think you know, it's a big learning and somewhere, even though you out of modesty made it very simple, this is a mistake we make so many times that we forget that every individual market has its own personality needs. Right. And the hidden lesson that you had there is Puerto Rico is Puerto Rico, not Miami. And that appreciation and taking the whole team through that, I really think it's really cool. Oh, thank you. And before we you know, leave the Pizza Hut side, you know, one thing that also hits me when I reflect on was these are very high level performers, very intense, but they were great human beings. And an instance, incidents that comes back to my mind is I was in marketing research. My boss left the company, number two left the company, and we had a new person from marketing, John Locke. He came over wow. as the head of research. And my performance appraisal had said that I was ready for a promotion, but I thought new boss means you have to reprove again. John Locke being John Locke, you know, he passed away last year. We miss him a lot. Being an amazing oh, gentleman. First great, thing man. he said, yeah, first thing he said, Arjun, between us, I'm happy 100% of research knowledge exists between both of us. And I own zero. <laughs> Secondly, he said, I see that the previous leaders wanted to get you promoted and I trust, and I think the best thing I can do on day one is to promote you. And now buddy, you go and prove me right. And that is it. Like to me, every time when I met with this man, he always was such an incredible visionary, but always respected. And that entry level person, as you talked about, you know, feeling the value that we are adding and being encouraged to stand out. I really had to give a shout out for John Locke, an incredible human being, as we go back to Pizza Hut days. And there were so many like him there, which is what made it so special. It's really the people who make the company special, right? It's not the company itself, it's the people. And there were so many like that. And that's what I loved about that culture and that whole opportunity is, there was a time when I got promoted to director when I was out in that in the field and had a huge team and several agencies. And I remember thinking, what what are they thinking? You know, I it was a time when, you know, being growing up in Colorado and being a skier, like where you're looking down the hill going, I am over my tips. Mm -hmm. But that was my biggest growth year, I think, of my entire career. They gave me the opportunity. And boy, did I grow. And, you know, I've used that lesson throughout my career as well with other people who are like thinking they can't do it. And I'm like, you can do it. And really encouraging people to stretch mm -hmm. and to go over their tips and get into their um, the zone of being uncomfortable because I said, that's where you have your biggest growth. And gosh, Pizza Hut did that so well back in those days. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, from there, 
evolving and taking the conversation forward, talking about your days at Red Robin and talking to some common friends. You know, they just talk about the time you were a leader. The company was already on the path, but sometimes being on the path is not good enough. A leader comes in and takes the brand to the next level. And that's what you did and put them up for big wins later on. What were some of the big accomplishments under your leadership? Like the things that we talked about from Pizza Hut days, now that you are the leader, how did you put them in place to take the brand to that next level of success, which is sustained over time? Well, thank you for saying that. And first, when I started um, Red Robin, what a great company, but it was more of a change averse culture than I had been at previously. Um, very deliberate about not wanting to change how we do things. And I was told coming in that the marketing department was really seen as order takers. And that was a little bit foreign to me. So one of the accomplishments and things that I'm really proud of is really shifting the role of marketing in that company from just being execution only to really being more strategic and being on the forefront and setting the strategic um, plan. So really leading that very first planning process and putting a new products process in place and really training the team to think, to be more data-driven, to be looking at trends, being more analytical and being really the, the leaders, the thought leaders uh, of, of the company versus just being reactive. So really being on the forefront. And I tell you, the team rose to the occasion and we were able to lead some great things. I mean, we, we launched a loyalty program. I had done a loyalty program at my previous job, launched a loyalty card at um, Western Union. And so came in saying, we really don't have a lot of insights on our, on our customers. Um, when I asked them key questions, there were some assumptions that just didn't add up. So really needed to find out more about our consumers. And this is back, you know, this is back several years ago. So today it's, it's more commonplace, but back then there were not, you know, it was before Panera even had their loyalty program. So it was putting a loyalty program in place that still today is very successful there and launching third-party gift cards. Those those two things in itself helped the company to make plan for the next two years. In addition to the thing that I, I really love is bringing that whole yum campaign to life. I had, I had heard it once on one of our radio and I said, that is such a gold gem right there. We've got to take yum and make it even bigger. And I think that when people think of Red Robin today, the mnemonic that they automatically come back with is yum. And so that, that was a huge success as well, I believe. Well, so let's go into the yum campaign a little bit is, you know, I feel super leaders see beyond. You're not the only leader in the company who heard of the radio thing about the yum campaign, but you saw the potential. So what did you, you know, what did you see in that that made you bet on that campaign and that became such a big deal and a brand definer for Red Robin? When I heard it, I thought it really did encompass what we were trying to communicate, which was that craveability, the taste, and what a simple way to do it. <laughs> so when I heard it, I thought, first off, 
how memorable is that? I mean, when you see great advertising campaigns, it's always like something that stands out in your brain. And I thought that that is something that we could just be known for that really does communicate a lot of the strategic things that we wanted customers to take away in a way that is just so simple. So I, I love the the call, the red robin and the yum response. I thought it's just, it just makes sense and it brings everything together and it's so simple. I love things that are just so simple and mm -hmm. just catch fire. Like when your kids are, are repeating it and things like that, you know, you got something great. So it, it really, it, for me, um, it was an agency who had created it. And for me, it was just bringing it to life and making it even bigger because it was so simple and communicated exactly what we wanted it to. I love that phrase. Find something simple and catches fire. I love yeah. that. Absolutely. So now let's move to Quiznos. And that's the part where I was fortunate to again now see you in action as the CEO of Quiznos. And just a little caveat is, you know, just like any business goes through ups and downs, Quiznos was going through a little resource challenge during those days. And that made your job, of course, much more difficult. So what was your secret to create a path to completely revamp Quiznos to help Quiznos find out with your leadership, this new path? What was the secret of getting there? Yeah, and, and, and we were more than just resource constrained. I mean, if you if you look back to where we were, we were in a major turnaround situation. Uh, we had just to set the stage, we had franchisees not making money, very disgruntled um, closures, like significant closures, uh, leases were up. So we, we really had a very tough situation that we were facing. And as we looked out about three years, it was not a pretty story. So at this time, I, I got promoted from CMO to CEO, and it was a great opportunity to say, okay, it's time to be very focused and to be bold. So this, we did not have time or resources to waste. So we had one shot to try and fix this business and it was, let's go big or go home. Um, so it was about being bold. So I had just been newly promoted to a CEO and I had an upcoming board meeting and so worked very closely with the executive team. And I said, let's, we've got to fix this business once and for all. We had, you know, many swings, but we have got to do something big because this business it cannot stand on, you know, with, cannot withstand with all this wealth, all the closures. So coming up to my first board meeting, um, we built a plan where I needed to go in and tell the board members who represented about 75% of our ownership that they were going to make less money in the short term because we were going to give money back to the franchisees. So kind of, um, you could say it's bold or it could, you could say, wow, that sounds really um, stupid, but it was needed to save the company. Mm -hmm. We had to stop the closures. We had to get people to sign their leases. We needed franchisees to buy new toasters. We needed them to invest in their stores. And the way that all this could come together is with this new plan. So worked really hard for two months on this, pre-sold it, et cetera. And I just have to tell this story because I think it's a, it's a good lesson for everyone, but I thought we had it locked and loaded. And I was walking into the first board meeting with my executive team and the chairman of the board pulled me aside and he said, 
Um, Susan, you need to understand that you're not going to get this approved today. You're not going to get this approved, period. And I said, okay. And he said, did you, did you hear what I said? He goes, we're not approving this. I said, okay. And he just kind of looked at me strangely. And I looked at my team and I'm like, let's go. Because we had such belief that this was the absolute thing we had to do. Mm -hmm. And so we walked in and I've never been so proud of a team, but we walked in and I said to the board, I said, I know, I know where you stand. And all I ask is that you hear us out. I said, let each of us talk and hear us out. And the headline is, um, we did get it approved. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, it, it took a couple more weeks and a few follow-up pieces, but we got this very bold plan approved. And I fundamentally believe that that is what helped keep that company open, even through COVID, helped keep the company going and helped keep some of these franchisees from closing their, their locations. So anyway, again, focused, but bold, be bold. I love that. And you know, I just want to add a little dimension to this story because many a time a leader is defined by those in the team. And I was fortunate to be an external internal partner in the team. And when I reflected back, you know, what was very clear was you inspired every person on the team to really aim for beyond the moon, Mars or somewhere there. Lack of resource was never an excuse. What I even started going back and reflecting on was from day one, you set very clear vision. Secondly, there are umpteen number of times you were not scared to make decisions. You made decisions. Sometimes they were tough decisions with resources, human resources, people resources, directions not to go. But that was so important as we move forward with the decisions. Secondly, you know, also we all felt included. And when we you know, all prepared for the presentation, we felt it was our presentation. But I really think all these things get eclipsed by what happened right after the board meeting. Usually after the board meeting, you just hear from the CEO, hey, you know, good job, like blah, blah, blah. Just a one line, maybe two weeks later, sat with us I think the same evening or the morning after I'm getting old and I'm forgetting and he took us into details you talk to us each person to show how our pieces make made a difference and I really think that is one of the stories I wanted to bring in front is a leader is defined by the aftertaste he or she creates among every member of the team because I'm serious, like if after that you call me ever, I'm ready to be on the Susan team because I want to get that post meeting debrief and I want to go through that process because that I think defines the class of a leader. And I really wanted to put you on the spot and share that with you because you know those moments don't happen too many times in your career. And I really am appreciative to be in that team led by you. Oh, gosh, thank you so much. I, I will tell you, you were such a critical piece of our success. And we did we did some amazing things. And you were a good coach for me. I really appreciate, you know, what you were able to provide back then. I mean, we, but I'm, I'm proud of what we did. And I will say that I believe that we, we not only had a great team, but I think transparency and communication really helped at that company. I, I, 
I'm a big believer in being transparent mm -hmm. and just telling people, here's the situation from the internal team to franchisees. Here's what's going on. Mm -hmm. Here's why we're making this decision. Here's what the results were, good, bad, or indifferent. I think it's important that people understand where you are so that it takes the guesswork out of it. And it takes kind of some of that chatter that sometimes get, creates kind of a negative uh, feeling in the company. It took all that away because if you had a question, ask me, I will tell you. And same thing, communication. This was an opportunity for where everybody at the company knew that we were in a turnaround situation and everybody got in the boat and was rowing in the same direction. We were very clear on where we were heading and we didn't have people dragging the oar saying, ah, oh, this isn't gonna work. I tell you, everybody was there and that's really what also made this so successful. It was, was really the, the team being in the boat rowing at the same time with everyone else. Yeah, and I want to push this example a little more because there are a few big lessons for rest of us here. One is leadership is a tightrope walk. Sometimes we don't listen to the team or there are times we listen to everybody and it becomes a chaos. That whole tightrope about listening to everyone but making the tough decisions. Let's go back to that example you gave. Just before you're walking into the board meeting, the most important step that you and the senior management team have prepared, that to the CEO's first board meeting in the company, <laughs> the chairman telling you it won't happen. Okay, If I was your number two, three, or four looking at, I would look at you and your body language would tell me what we are up for. That okay that you talked about twice and you walked in believing that that's the right thing and you're not stopping. I really think that's such an important thing is self-belief cannot be just, you cannot be pushed off. And that's what leaders are all about is leaders march forward when others give up. So I really wanted to bring that example back because that I think is a major learning moment for all of us when we reflect that when we hear those no's, no just means the hurdle just went up and you just walk more like Susan Lytton Smith and charge forward with your team and get what you need is the right for the company. You know, Arjun, if I had stopped when I heard no, I wouldn't have gotten very far in any part of my life. I mean, I, uh -huh. I people are going to say, no, you can't. Here's why you can't throughout your entire life. And mm -hmm. I think what, what separates is being able to say, you know what? Yes, I can. And if I need to back up and approach it a different way, I absolutely will. But I'm going to get past that, that wall. Um, I, I've had to do that with so many parts of my life. And with this one, I thought, you know what? If, it's, if the answer really is no, okay. We'll then back up and course correct and do whatever else. We'll go to plan B, which was not a pretty, it was not a pretty site. And I did outline that for the board as well. Here's what plan B looks like, because we had looked at so many different scenarios, but I wanted to be heard and I wanted them to, to at least take the time to go through all the thinking because it was so solid. And once we got through it, there wasn't there wasn't the franchise or there wasn't a board member who was like you know what this is a no it was like okay answer this question and it's a yes wow. so um I, yeah i think it is a great lesson for everyone don't take don't take no as the answer yeah i love that don't stop when you hear no i just want to add uh totally digress and add a 
insight from one of the top golfers of all times when I worked with him. He taught me the simple thing is we are wired to ignore the word no from our ah. early childhood. He explained to me when our parents told us, don't put your fingers in the electrical, we heard put your fingers in the electrical. <laughs> <laughs> and he said that the moment we lose that childlike you know, pride to overcome no, life becomes complicated. So he said we were wired to overcome no. And I really think your example takes us back there. So Susan, now I want to just reflect back on all the accomplishments. Okay. And what is the one biggest secret that makes Susan successful in any industry, any job? Resilience. I'm, I'm resilient. Um, I think the Quiznos example is a really good one to say um, that, you know, resilience to me first means, you know, just being able to rebound quickly from setbacks, right? Being mm -hmm. able to adapt well to change, being able to keep going in the face of adversity or when you're told no, just to be able to keep going and not let that knock you down, right? If, if it, or if it does let you knock you down, you get up very quickly. So resilience. And I will tell you that I think that that aspect of me um, is really driven by the fact that I grew up with three older brothers, mm -hmm. right? And I was a very small child with three older brothers, and we were very all close in age, you know, four of us in six years. And so I grew up very feisty and not taking no and that that really taught me resilience and i think it's a really great trait that has served me really well in the business world hmm. yeah and i'm so glad you talked about it because i really wanted to ask you going back to i'm still stuck on that chairman telling you no <laughs> you saying okay because it's like a reflex like at that instant you didn't go through a 15 point thinking you marched forward and you sharing about the impact your brothers had, I really think that that's something in our DNA or in your DNA. And I really appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. Thank you. you know, I remember in high school, I had a counselor. I wanted to go to Notre Dame. Um, and I had a counselor who said, oh, you'll never get in. Go to, go to Regis, which is a great school, um, because you'll never get into Notre Dame, so don't bother. And I'm like, no, I'm going to apply, and I'm going to get in, and I'm going to go there. I'm just grateful that I was feisty back then and didn't listen because I wouldn't have had that path if I had listened to her. So again, I think I had it at a young age and I'm, I'm grateful for that because I could outline, I could write a whole book on how many times I was told no, that you're, you can't. And it's yes, yes, I can. Mm -hmm. I can see that book, like 100 no's. <laughs> didn't stop me something like that so yeah. i really think it'll be a, such a cool book thank you so now let's make this a very you know personal conversation let's say susan you walk into a restaurant or a bar or a coffee shop and you meet susan 16 year old and susan 100 year olds what would the conversation happen like what would conversation be what would you tell the 16 year old and what would you ask or tell the 100 year old Wow, I, I love this question. This is such a great question. Um, I, I would assume, honestly, that it's the hundred-year-old who's doing all the talking <laughs> and advising my younger selves. But um, you know, at, at, 
telling Susan at age 16 is, uh, I would say, you know what, you got this. So at age 16, I was in high school, very active, figure skater, piano player, working in a restaurant like 30 hours a week going to school. So very hard worker and I, you know, very driven. And I would say, you know what, you got this. You can be anything you want to be. And don't listen to anyone who tells you otherwise, because you can. Mm-hmm. And I would say, yes, you know what, work hard. You're a hard worker, do that. But also have fun and don't worry so much, you know, really enjoy the ride um, because life, and I tell this to my boys now, uh, life is a marathon. It's not a hundred yard dash. So I would tell my 16 year old self that is, you know, hard work is important, but so is enjoying the ride. Mm-hmm. And I would also tell that 16 year old self to well, wear sunscreen and stay out of the sun. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think I think that 100-year-old Susan would tell today's Susan some things as well as I'm reflecting on this question. I, I, I think the 100-year-old, you know, we just keep getting wiser, don't we? And we just learn so much about life. But I think the 100-year-old would tell me today, you know, be, be proud of what you've accomplished to this point in your life. Mm-hmm. Be proud. Um, you've given so much to work given so much to your family, to your parents. Um, But you know what, your parents, you know, they've passed, your kids are older. I think the hundred year old would say, now it's time to take care of yourself. It's time to do those things that you have always wanted to do. Take time to do things you enjoy. Cause I think, I don't know if it's just us as professionals or if it tends to be a little bit more of the mom, the, the wife, the daughter syndrome, but women tend to put themselves last. And I would coach my today's self to say, don't do that anymore. Hmm. You know, spend the rest of the time really taking care of yourself and enjoying a little bit more. I love that. So Susan, this has been a fascinating conversation and I'm so glad we could relive some incredible moments. And also I got some cool insights on behind the scene, how Susan Linda Smith does cool things. Is there anything else you want to add that we haven't talked about? Or are there any questions you have for me? Because you answered every question. If you have a question, I would love to answer. I would love to ask you a question, but there's there's one thing that I did want to comment on. And I, I just, this is something that's stuck in my head. I was asked a question by a real young guy at a private equity firm when I was interviewing with him a couple of years ago. And I still think about it because he asked me, he said, why did it take you so long to become CEO? He goes, I look at your career path and why? Mm-hmm. And I just want to share that answer because mm-hmm. I, I was kind of, I, he kind of stunned me with the question and I loved answering it. And I said, mm-hmm. first off, two things. First, I love learning. I love learning. So I really enjoy that steep learning curve. So for me, it wasn't getting to the top as fast as I could. I took side roads and I tried to, I moved sideways to other companies, other industries, because I wanted to round out my skills. I wanted to learn. And I said, secondly, you know, I was the mom of two young boys who had very busy schedules and they each played two sports. I had a working spouse. I was the sole caregiver for my mom and dad who both lived alone. Um, I, I had a lot on my plate. And so I passed on big jobs 
because I wasn't willing to move. I, I focused on family and I made decisions in my career to make sure that I could be a good mom, to make sure I could be a good daughter, a good wife, a good sister, a good friend. And the reason I wanted to tell the story is because I, I think it goes back to some of the themes that we've already had in this, in this uh, podcast so far, which is don't let anybody tell you no or, or try to define your life or your career path because mm-hmm. it's really whatever you want it to be. Mm-hmm. I always thought, you know, it, you had to get to the CEO chair the fastest and then, you know, life throws some wrenches in and it, it doesn't work out necessarily that way. And I, I've learned looking back that it, it, you don't win if you get to the CEO seat first or if you never get there at all, mm-hmm. or you don't lose if somebody else gets there faster. It's, 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 really, about, it's, it's really about the ride, right? Where and your personal journey, your personal journey has to be Susan's journey. Yeah. Beautiful. It's the personal journey. And, you know, you do things for the right reason and you just won't regret it. That's, that's the headline. I love that regret part because an incredible person in my team, Cody Roper, she only wanted to work with Zen Mango to get her husband through school. Then they moved to Boise and she was working remotely. And then she called and gave me the amazing news that she and her husband, I called him Brando Boy, they're expecting their first child. And Cody kept telling me that she only wanted to be a mom first, but she loved working with us and she was having a dilemma. So I put her on the spot by saying, Cody, think a year from now, which regret is bigger for you? I know not working with Zen Mango, you'll regret. But do you think that regret comes even closer if you have a regret that you were not? And that was such an important decision that Cody defines herself. Now I define her as the CEO of three amazing kiddos. Mm-hmm. And from somebody outside can judge Cody. But I know that to give up something, you go for something bigger. And that's the part where, and the second part of your answer was, if I was there when that question was asked, I would have raised my hand by saying, do you realize even with all the life balancing, the job at Red Robin for an emerging brand to put them back on track is bigger than that of a CEO of tons of companies. So, so to me, it's not apples and apples. It's like totally different things you're comparing, but you know, I love the direction you talked about life about balance and only the Susan way. Yes, a question you had. Well, I loved your question to me about the conversation with myself, especially at age 16, looking back. And I just was wondering, because you have been so successful and you have done just amazing things. You know, you are, you're a publisher. I mean, you, you've done great things. And so what would you tell your 16-year-old Arjun? What would you tell yourself? First of all, I would thank that kid. Because many a time a 16-year-old could do goofy things that gets you (laughs) ejected from the game and career could have been over. So I'm like, dude, with all the crazy things you did, you didn't get me ejected from the game, kept me in the play. Second thing, I would just thank him for things he did, risks he took, which I would not even advise my daughter to take today. Okay. But that's the bizarre part of coming to this country, not knowing anybody with $350. And even today, and no credit card, like my daughter, she can't do that. Like those are things I just want to thank that kid by saying, don't change, be who you are. And 
I also would give that same advice is, you know, many a time when you are at that 16, you just look at life to be one day, one month, that advice you are giving your sons about life being a marathon, you know, live a little, don't stress about things. And relationships are very important because I have, you know, a few regrets that I did not put emphasis on my marriage and that's the reason the divorce happened. So I just would look at by saying, hey, life is not what you do at work. Life is something bigger. And each one of us have 24 hours in a day. Allocate it for the overall Arjun portfolio, not only on work or golf. This bigger than me. So I had to bring golf in. So thanks for asking that question. Oh, that's a great answer. So Susan, this is a fascinating conversation. And you know, I don't know how to title this conversation, but most probably, you know, when I reflect back and read this, I really want to emphasize two things. One is having the guts in any situation to overcome no. It's not easy when you are in high school and the so powerful career counselor who has the key apparently to all your future tells you, don't apply to Notre Dame, okay? For that kid to say, no, I will apply and creating that path, I really think that sets somebody up because it's a big win that is there. And I'm going to share the story shamelessly with my nephews, nieces, and everybody else is be like Susan. And the second thing is living life your own way because each one of us are unique. My daughter and daughters are goofy keeps reminding me that that even both your eyebrows are not the same, like you're not even biometrically symmetric. <laughs> and so I really think that taking that is a, such a big lesson you taught us is there's no unique, like there's no fixed path for everybody. Your path has to be yours just like Susan has to be only Susan, Arjun has to be only Arjun. So each one of us listening must only be who we are. Learn from others, but that to me, those are two amazing lessons. Thank you, Susan, for sharing. This was such an incredible conversation. I really wish you the best ahead. You are incredible. Thank you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango top brand growth driver and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. To learn more, visit www.zenmango.com. Share this podcast with your friends and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.